Welcome to part two of this week's Taiwan This Week election special that was recorded at a round table at the Donghai University in Taichung. And I'm still joined by Brian Hugh from New Bloom, ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith, Donghai University Associate Professor of Political Science Albert Cho, and Donghai Assistant Professor of Political Science Max Linzer Lee. And we'll pick up from where part one left off. So, Donovan, we missed you out there talking about how cross-strait ties and ties with the U.S. could affect the election. So, over to you. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have. Uh, I'll add some things to, to what uh, the other panelists have said. I, I think they, they they pretty much nailed it all. Um, I'm just just one little thing on Han Guoyu. You'll notice if you watch old videos of Han Guoyu. His because he's originally mainlander from um, New Taipei City today, and if you watch old videos of him, the way that he carries himself, his accent, it's really obvious in those old videos. He's a mainlander from North Taiwan. It's really obvious. And then he moved to Yunlin uh, with his wife's family, and if you look at him now, his mannerisms and his accent sound much much more Taiwanese than than before. Uh, which is very, very interesting. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he did it consciously, that this is something that he, he studied to do. Um, now, on, on um, cross-strait relations, the KMT right now has a problem. Now, I think that um, in terms of the presidential election, I think that uh, relations with China are, are critical. I think in the legislative election, they're important, but not as critical. Um, there, the thing is, I think right now the positions of the KMT are so outside of the mainstream that they're basically unelectable uh, as to run for president right now with the policies that they have uh, regarding China. It's just too far outside of the mainstream. Um, if you look at Tsai Ing-wen's uh, policies regarding China, are very close to the center of Taiwan politics. Uh, it's very much status quo we're the Republic of China, Taiwan. She's using both names. Um, you know, we want to stay strong and uh, defend our sovereignty as the Republic of China, Taiwan. Uh, she's not like Chen Suibian, who is a bit out of the mainstream on one side. Han Guoyu is too far out on the other side. Um, and the reason why I say the KMT, outside of maybe Ho Yoi, or if they can find a candidate like him, the thing is, the KMT was traditionally very electable uh, regarding ch their China policies because the KMT was reliably anti-communist. And so people trusted the KMT uh, to defend Taiwan's sovereignty because they were reliably – they hated the communists. Now, there are a lot of people in the KMT who are – much closer to, they have business ties, um, financial ties to uh, China, personal ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and so a lot of people right now, I think, don't trust a KMT presidential candidate in dealing with China, that they, they don't trust that they will actually defend the sovereignty of Taiwan. Um, so I think right now the KMT, uh, with very few exceptions, I think they, they'd have trouble winning a presidential election with almost anybody in the party right now. About the KMT being a bit too close to China. Uh, and uh, according to their history, it's quite interesting. And the people can change their attitude pretty fast. But why KMT 
doing this because they know young people, they know most of the middle voters, they support not united with China, and uh, they're still doing so. I think that's because they see the possible of security issue. They believe that one day Americans cannot protect Taiwan. They believe Taiwan's future only rely on powerful, peaceful China. That's totally, you know, foundation thinking about the future of Taiwan. In this view, in this way, I say this, Taiwan already divided to two groups. One is pro-democracy, one is pro-China. And that's the fundamental issue we need to face today and which is very crucial. Okay, I, I would like to say a little bit more about the younger generation and also their political attitudes towards KMT and DPP with regard to China issue. Okay. Um, as my personal observation for the past 10 years, um, I think the whole story can come back to the 2014 when uh, the sunflower movement occurred in Taipei. And a lot of student protesters, including part of our uh, political science uh, students from Donghai University, they joined uh, this uh, protest. At that time, I, I do feel two points. Uh, first of all, I think that was a generational fights, okay? Because in the past, the, the younger generation, they, they suffer from the economic recession. And like the pension reform, uh, Donovan just mentioned that um, in the past, younger people think it's hopeless for them to uh, jump in the mar markets to uh, make money because however much they, uh, you know, they try, they still cannot make enough money to s get survived, okay? So that was, to me, it was a, it was a uh, kind of class fight or class conflict. And second, that was a, a symbol against China for sure. So younger generation at that time was pretty much against China. Okay, so, uh, so that uh, at that point of time, that the sentiment leads up to the, the victory of the DPP later on. And even we have witnessed the rise of the new politician, uh, Taipei mayor, uh, later, Kowenze. Okay, so that was kind of to me the sentiments was against China. Then everything comes back because, like, what's interesting about this Taiwanese politics is that if you have something pushed to an extreme, that it will rebound, it will, it will comes back a little bit, it will backfire. So in the 2018, when DPP was in a position in in ruling position for uh, two years, and you know, first of all. Uh, DPP had a lot of uh, policies against KMT, including the transitional justice, and also they want to uh, deal with the property of KMT. Even though the goal uh, is legit, but the approach, the, the way they deal with the issues are pretty much uh, very controversial. It angers a lot of uh, the independent voters at that time. And younger students according to my observation, like my students, back to when, two years after the 2016 election, 2018, which is last year, I think more younger people, they are in a relatively sympathetic with the KMT position, even though they look down to KMT. It's important to keep in mind that in Taiwan, younger people always have a hard time you know, uh, receiving a signal or image or the kind of the... Uh, uh, 
statements from KMT. They they just feel KMT is kind of left behind and very backwards and not as cool as you know DPP that if they want to support them. Okay, so but like what I say, because DPP you know did let down a lot of younger supporters. For example, the uh, labor issue. Okay. When it comes to national holidays for laborers, I think Chai Ing-wen flip-flop. All right, so that lost a lot of original support from the younger supporters. So that um, in 2018, we saw that younger supporters, younger voters like our students or our younger generation, they kind of drop uh, in the election of 2018. They you know, resist to vote or they just feel, uh, they don't feel that enthusiasm to participate in politics. Uh, as opposed to two or four years ago, so that KMT gained the control of uh, Kaohsiung. And even the KMT uh, candidates, Gao uh, Sibo in Tainan, he did not lost uh, big time. I mean, it was a close race, all right? Too many people surprised. Okay, now 2020, Taiwan, like what I say, two factors. One is uh, the United States and also a lot of legalization of the protection of Taiwan in the United States that helps Taiwan to, to, uh, to, to be in the upper hand. On the other hand, I think the protest in Hong Kong, and now we all be very cautious about this uh, escalation in Hong Kong, and especially last, last night, the confrontation be- between the riot police and all sort of student protest in Hong Kong uh, Polytechnic University, you know, nobody knows what's gonna happen uh, maybe next hour, maybe uh, the PLP, the uh, Chinese army, will start to to root in people, even kill people, as much as what we witnessed in the 1989, the uh, 64 uh, Tiananmen Square massacre. So we certainly do not want to see that. But if that happens, only one thing, that's going to be a historical tragedy again. On the other hand, that would, un, you know, without question, decides the election results uh, next year. I, you know, I, I think that's going to be a heavy cost. I don't want to see that as a way to help Tsai Ing-wen and DPP to, to get a victory next year. But inevitably, we are seeing the whole situation you know, evolving in that direction. Brian, you're a bit of an expert on young voters. Do you see Taiwan's youth being disenfranchised by the KMT and the DPP and possibly turning to the smaller parties? Or we could say, what's left of one of the smaller parties and a new smaller party? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so, I mean, I myself was a participant in the Sunfire Movement in 2014 and so forth. So, I mean, um, it's been interesting watching, for example, the electoral strategy of the DPP. Uh, we just noted that the KMT is mostly running... Older candidates, uh, it's running a lot of pro-China candidates who are not popular with young people for that reason. Uh, people are particularly hated by young people in many cases. And the DPP is actually, it's, it's focused on running a number of young candidates. Uh, Li Wen, for example, is 30. Uh, he's running Matsu, probably won't win. Uh, but a lot of attention has gone to Wu Yinong, who's 38 or so, fairly young. Uh, Lai Pingyu, who is one of the uh, members of the Black Island Youth Front during the Sunfire Movement, is 28 and is also running uh, in Siju. And so, uh, and then, then in the party list, uh, for example, Hong Shunhan, who is close to society, 34, so he's the number two candidate. And originally, the original version of the list, Tui Martika, Ting Hui Hong Dian, the indigenous uh, uh, broadcaster, was also 34. And so they're focusing a lot on young people. And if you look at overall the KMT and the fact that young people in the party resisted their party list, they, they opposed it. This shows the long-term lack of viability of the party, whereas the DPP is actually thinking about the long-term in orienting towards young people. 
However, that does not mean that this time, in this set of elections, the DPP will necessarily win or the Pan-Green camp will win. And the question is then, what, uh, particularly uh, wild cards such as Koenja's Taiwan People's Party. Um, Koenja was elected in 2014 with the support of many young people and has become increasingly pro-China. Um, he was originally, again, like I mentioned, viewed as more pro-Taiwan, but then conducted all these cross, uh, controversial cross-strait exchanges with China. Uh, he's really doubled down on ties with uh, Terry Goh, who's a figure solidly of the pan-blue camp, uh, Wang Jinping, uh, the former majority speaker of the KMT, and so forth. And he is running – some people in his uh, party that he's running as candidates are basically oligarchs. Um, that being said, when actually one looks at last year – uh, compared to the other two Taipei mayoral candidates, he had a lot stronger support from young people. All of the rallies for Ko Wenzhe, entirely young people. Uh, Yao Wenzhe, Pasu Ye Yao, uh, and Ding Shouzhong, their campaign rallies are mostly older people. And so then for these people that, uh, like Ko Wenzhe, who tried to depict himself originally as between blue and green, as being neither, as being beyond them, uh, that might actually, that rhetoric might still have appeal to some young people. And so that's actually one of the bigger questions then. Will his TPP be supported, uh, Taiwan People's Party be supported by young people because of that? Because they still believe that he clings to those views and have not been fully aware of his drift towards more pro-China policies. And that, that's, a, that's a big question for me. As to the MPP, that's also a question because while that is a party that was, uh, it came out of the Sunfire Movement and it also claims rhetoric of being a third force that was not came to your DPP, it has split regarding the issue of whether to endorse Tsaing or not. And I think actually, again, to return to the question of these third parties that have emerged, it's a party that was not able to escape the uh, powerful heavyweights that really came to represent the party in the public image, that being Huang Guochang and Freddie Lim. Whereas with other third parties, you can see they're very centered around a central figure. Uh, for example, the People First Party with James Song, Song Chu, and the TPP, the Taiwan People's Party with Ko Wenzhe. And so that's, that's the issue that the MPP faces. I don't know what support it will get from young people now it's suddenly split apart. Um, that's also kind of, it's very unexpected that's happened. But then actually one observes that the, the DPP has adopted some of the strategies that the MPP previously took on in running young candidates, uh, in running candidates that were close to civil society or would appeal to progressive issues and so forth. Um, and so it's actually is an unexpected turn. And I think that, that the TPP is actually the biggest wild card here, though, because we just don't know will young people vote for it or not. And Donovan, you're an expert on young people, obviously. So do you think the young vote will sway the election this year or possibly not? Um, good question. I, I think Brian's analysis was excellent. Um, I mean, traditionally, yeah, the NPP was positioning itself, the new power party, uh, Huang Guochang and Freddie Lim and Hong Ziyong, and, and that that party was targeting itself explicitly toward the young voters. And I think they had a lot of su success with that. But right now, now that they've lost Freddie Lim and Hong Ziyong um, and some other city councilors and important people, the party is split in, in internally. Um, <clears throat> the question is, can they still stay above 5%? And that uh, we don't know. The Most of the last polls I've seen, they need to be at 5% to stay in the party list. They had like 5.3% in one poll, 5.8% in another one. They're very close to being in or out. Uh, I think Brian is spot on. The question with the, um, the Taiwan People's Party, will young voters come out for them or not? Um, and it's hard to say. And uh, my suspicion, um, although, Brian, you might know better than I, uh, than I would, but is that 
young it depends on whether the young voters are paying attention to what the Taiwan People's Party actually stands for. And the reason I say this is that Cohen's uh, he he portrays himself as being in the center. Um, but in reality, he's in the center of Taipei politics, not Taiwan politics. So I call him a Taipei centrist, not a Taiwan centrist. I think he's a little bit more closer to pan blue outside of Taipei. Um, and so if younger voters are paying attention, they, they might notice that a lot of his candidates – Originally were uh, from the Guomindang or the PF, the Chimindang, the PFP, uh, more so than they came from the DPP. Now, he's got some candidates came from the DPP, but more of them are coming from the pan blue side. So, again, I think it's going to be a lot of what the young vote if for, for younger voters, I think it's going to be they're going to look at this and they're going to look at do they want the, this, I mean, because the party right now is basically Kuenza. It's the Kuenza party, really. Um, we don't know what their policies are going to be. It looks like about two-thirds of the, peop- the candidates it's running are coming from the pan-blue side, uh, about one-third from the pan-green side. Um, and we don't really know what they stand for. The only s- specific thing that I can think of that wasn't like we love mothers, and it's, he said things like, you know, we want clean governance. Well, who doesn't? You know, we want to be, you know, we want a practical, efficient government. Well, who doesn't? You know, these are things that all political parties are going to say. The only thing that I've seen him say that's very specific that not everybody's going to uh, claim is that he wants the, the Taiwan People's Party specifically to win enough seats so that the DPP and the KMT cannot form a majority. That really seems to be the main, that and allowing Kuenza to get a bigger voice and to make sure that they get government subsidies and can have a presidential candidate in the next election. I think those are the primary purposes of that party. So will young people come out and vote for them? The polls, I've seen everything from the TPP polling at under 5% to almost 30%. The polls are wildly different. So it's really anyone's best guess. Right, Max, do you think that young people are paying attention to the election or they're too busy playing their Nintendos? I'm sorry. I'm afraid it could be later. <laughs> Honestly, you see the case on Brexit. It's the same case. The old people, they hate the European Union, so they vote for live. And the young people, they are satisfied when they enjoy the freedom between the UK and the European Union. So, but they are lazy. They wait quite late. So the turnout for young people is pretty low. So going back to the issue about Kerwinzer, I think he doesn't have any color or ideology, but who, who will vote for Kerwinzer? Now only 20%, and uh, I agree with you, because he will become, I don't think any party will become majority, and then his party become can very important. And what kind of color he belongs to? I don't think it's white color. He became a color that we 
We may not like China, but we don't want to be the enemy of China. I think this kind of group will vote for Kerr. Microphone on, which always helps if you have a microphone on. Changing the direction completely. Um, Brian, what about this China meddling in the election? They're going to cause problems and it's going to be rigged because China's meddling in the election. Do you think this is true, false, a complete load of baloney? Or do you think people in Taiwan are well too savvy to fall for Beijing's propaganda? I think that's the very difficult thing, that uh, propaganda efforts are now very sophisticated. And whether actually you're pan-green or pan-blue... I think most political parties in the world that are major political parties do use the internet and they do create, make efforts to create memes and things like that that will spread to young people or old people in different demographics. And China will definitely engage in this. Uh, it's a question how it will engage in this, what efforts it will take. Uh, but then, you know, when we look at the mainstream media in Taiwan, a lot of it is actually already just highly influenced by China. Uh, the fact that you do have uh, newspapers that are directly taking calls from uh, the Chinese government, uh, the, main, uh, the Taiwan Affairs Office, in order to decide on what articles they run, uh, what order they run them, and how they prioritize them, or that they're receiving money from China, uh, large sums of money, and this is flowing into these media outlets, which are pan-blue. And so there's that issue, which already exists, and there's the fake news issue, as, as we've come to discuss in those terms, which is much more centered on the Internet. And then the question of uh, false information, disinformation, being spread through Line, through uh, Facebook, through other social media networks. Um, that's something that the government, and I think governments all over the world, are still struggling to tackle because of the fact that disinformation spreads faster than accurate information. It's very easy to create uh, something and just spin it off and send it out into the Internet, and people will believe that. And it's harder to actually have verified reporting. And so I think the government is still, is still trying to figure out ways to do that. Um, with regards to China, some of their efforts directed towards Taiwan can be very heavy-handed. Uh, for example, just threatening Taiwan in a way that enrages uh, Taiwanese voters. Uh, if one thinks of, most famously, Xi Jinping's speech on January 1st, which had seemingly opposite effect of what China should have done in offering a kind of olive branch or uh, incentives to lure Taiwan closer instead of saying that we will use military force against you in that case. And this is oftentimes what, for example, uh, 50 centers accomplish. But the scarier thing is that when one looks at the uh, disinformation efforts, which have been more widely reported on, for example, the new party uh, spokespersons, uh, Wang Pingzhong and his media outlet, these were actually just very badly run. And so this actually could even just uh, be a smokescreen in that sense. The government went after that. There was some blowback from the public. Uh, but this is actually just not not actually all that influential, not all that important. The more sophisticated uh, disinformation efforts are not known. And these come from, for example, big uh, Facebook pages that have large followings and are posting internet memes uh, and so forth. And just through all these different uh, line accounts that are, are uh, creating so-called elderly images, Zhang Beitu, that, that parents and grandparents just spread around without actually confirming the details. And this is harder to mine out, and it's very hard to target, actually, because this is a free country uh, with uh, freedom of press, and it's a democracy. And so actually, when you do try to take efforts against this, you open yourself the charge of political persecution. And if the DPP, despite being a party that came out of the democracy movement, it is targeted by the KMT with that claim, claiming that it's a leveraging a green terror worse than the white terror. Although, I wonder where the dead bodies are in that case. All right, Albert, do you see fake news leveraging votes? Okay, um, I... I do acknowledge that uh, the new trends of disinformation as well as mis misinformation uh, really matters a lot uh, in, in, in today's Taiwan. And also, uh, Brian's right that our government, especially the foreign uh, minister, uh, they are pretty concerned with this issue, and they actually invest a lot of money in, in, in this regard and trying to hire uh, tech person as well as professionals to deal with the issue. But I, 
I'm rather optimistic about the uh, cyber attack from China uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think there's a gap in lifestyle uh, in the cross-trade relations. Because even though China now is much more developed than before, still the way it talks and also the sense of humor over there is different from the sense of humor here. Okay, so sometimes uh, China and also its trial trying to uh, kind of get involved with the election in Taiwan, sometimes they get the kind of counter effect and does not really achieve the goal as it they want. Okay, so I'm kind of optimistic about this. And I think your question is really great, that I think Taiwanese voter now is too savvy to be hoodwinked, all right? I mean, it's, it's hard for, for us, especially you guys, I mean, younger generation. You, are, you guys are smart, and you guys know how to fact-check. You guys know how to uh, tell, uh, you know, you know the, the, the nature of uh, any fake news or fake image. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm that worried about this part. And, and also, given the fact that... Um, China now obviously is for Han uh, Guoyu rather than Tsai Ing-wen. I don't think that China is doing a great job in terms of providing Han uh, Guoyu ammunition to, to fight against Tsai Ing-wen. I, I don't see that uh, happens uh, in any way. And now we only have like l less than 60 days to the election day. I, I, I kind of wonder how, how much China can continue to do uh, in this regard, particularly because there's a protest in Hong Kong and Xi Jinping uh, has, a, has a full hand. I mean, his hand is full, being full in terms of this issue. I think he's occupied by the Hong Kong issue. Uh, second is that I think, you know, we, we kind of change our perspective a little bit. Uh, when it comes down to the pen blue, pen green trials, like, you know, both camps accused each other of, you know, hiring uh, 1450, you know, like Yi right? For example, the KMT would say that the uh, DPP actually hired a lot of younger trials uh, on the Internet and trying to generate a lot of uh, rumors and lies against Han Guoyu and vice versa, too. And I think this happens not only this year in this election, but also in the previous election. I mean, this is a norm. Uh, or pattern, whether you like it or not, it, it, it is out there. But I do want to remind that Taiwan, the democracy in Taiwan is not, you know, does not follow the American style. We are not American democracy. In American democracy, freedom of speech is the first priority. So there is no prosecution from the governments that if you spread out rumors, uh, at the best you can file a formal complaint or legal complaint uh, inconsistent with the uh, a civil law rather than the uh, criminal law. But in Taiwan, we sort of follow German style. That means that if you uh, try to, you know, uh, slander somebody online, you might uh, face a uh, legal prosecution from the government. So in that, we, are, we resemble Germany more so than United States. So, so that, you know, that makes the whole situation, the whole a campaign very intriguing in a sense that, um, you know, any candidates, either Tsai Ing-wen or Han Gui, can fire a uh, legal complaint against uh, his or her opponents uh, when, when there's a rumor uh, spread around on, on the Internet. So I think that part might matters more in terms of inferencing the final results, more so than the China's inference. Oh, Max, have you read any fake political news, and did you believe it? Anything. Tying wind's got three heads. Yes, I do. When I'm in the gym. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm. 
in this era, I mean, we full of the populism, the fake news, and anything can influence us. But I agree with Albert that China, they are now very very confident. They don't care who, not really not care, but their priority is not about Taiwan anymore. Their priority is their domestic issue. Their priority is the trade conflict with America. Their priority is in Hong Kong, not Taiwan. And uh, give Taiwan's democracy a little bit confidence as well. We will be fine, no matter Han or Thai to become our president. We all fine. Fake news, a fake issue or a real issue? <laughs> is fake news fake news is what you're asking? <laughs> um, I think the, the, it is and it isn't. Um, and the reason I say this is that for a lot of people, like as Albert noted and as, as Brian noted, that uh, there's, there's – on the one hand, what, what Alba said is right in that what – generally younger people and a large percentage – I'm fairly confident that a large percentage of the electorate is pretty smart uh, and will see through the nonsense. But on the other hand, I think Brian's right as well that there's a certain – there, there's a certain amount of the population that is influenced by fake news. Um, I keep getting these things from an ex-girlfriend of mine going on about, you know, Tsai Ing-wen and the London School of Economics and, you know, and it, it's all nonsense and it's all been proven wrong. But she thinks it's all true. Um, and so there's a certain percentage of the population. I thought a really interesting example of how um, – the the how Chinese inf influence came through in the last election. There was this really interesting uh, article, and it was about um, how in in southern Taiwan radio stations are very popular. Um, obviously, ICRT the most popular, but uh, there's a lot of local radio stations with that you know farmers listen to, truck drivers listen to, taxi drivers listen to. And they were getting money from Chinese sources, and most of the time, these the DJs on these uh, on the on these uh, on these radio shows generally don't talk about politics. But when they did, they were talking Hanguo's talking points, and so that is something that uh, you know. So and that that helped influence a certain percentage of the voters. So it does – I think it has some influence in certain segments of society and not in others. Um, <clears throat> however, I think one thing that a lot of people forget, and, and, and you mentioned this, Tsuri, um, is that uh, one thing that people tend to forget, especially the international media, is that the, the Chinese Communist Party's number one priority is its domestic audience. And so when they say these things, like on the the, <clears throat> the speech which you referenced, uh, when Xi Jinping came out and said, you know, one country, two, the 92 consensus, one country, two systems uh, for Taiwan, he wasn't speaking to us here. That was for his domestic audience. 
Um, and so it really hurts their cause here in Taiwan. But that's not we're not that pro- we were not the priority in issuing that message. And I think you hit that right on that that nail right on the head. But the international press never, never, never really gets that. You've been listening to the second part of our two-part Taiwan This Week election special, which was recorded at the Donghai University in Taichung, and I was joined there by Donovan Smith, Brian Hugh, Albert Cho, and Max Linzer Lee. And we'll be returning to our normal format here on Taiwan This Week next Friday, November the 29th. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.